What's up, you wild and wonderful earthlings? Do you remember me? I'm your host, Sean Slade, and it feels like a while since I have released an episode. So I am thrilled to be sitting in front of the mic today to bring you episode 42 on natural burials. But first, let me fill you in on what has been keeping me from publishing podcasts over the last few months. You may have guessed it if you're a regular listener to this show. I finished my paper that I was working hard over the last, honestly, eight months writing. Um, feels great. I know, I, you know, I know I've talked about it on previous shows, on intros, um, but I'm doing it again because, you know, it was a big undertaking for me and I'm really happy with the way it came together and the impact that I hope it will have or I believe it will have within the field of nature connection and health. So this paper is a scoping review on the relationship between nature connection and health and well-being within nature-based interventions. So things like ecotherapy and different uh, public health uh, initiatives. So it's done, it's submitted, and you know I do plan, as I've said before, on breaking this paper down into bite-sized, swallowable pieces for upcoming podcasts so that you guys can consume this knowledge here via the podcast. Because you know that's what I think is important, disseminating this knowledge, getting it out to the people so that we can increase control over our health and really heal our relationship with mother earth. And I think this paper, um, does a great job at that. So anyways, my next step, um, you know, getting this over publication and then I'll begin my forest therapy study this summer. So that said, if you are a listener and you're interested in becoming a participant in a forest therapy study, uh, please contact me at Sean at rewildmybio.com. That's Sean S H A W N. Or as us Sean's always say, I spell it the right way. But anyways, um, you know, if you're a forest therapist as well, or let's say if you know someone who's certified in forest therapy uh, through either the ANFT, so the Association of Nature and Forest Therapists, or the GIFT Network, which is the Guild of International Forest Therapists, um, I could really use your help in securing therapists and or participants. So yeah, stay tuned for more information on that because that will be my next big undertaking in this PhD. So other than that, I guess what's new on the wild side with me, you know, that's been keeping me from hitting record and publishing podcasts for you guys. Well, I've uh, actually I've managed to appear as a guest on a few podcasts as of late, um, you know, to share my research into nature connection, as well as, you know, discuss different aspects of rewilding, you know, related to vaccines, uh, and just overall living a nature connected life in the face of the pandemic. So I've had a few uh, podcasts that I've done and those will be out soon. So um, it's been a lot of fun for me, you know, to be on the other side of the mic for a change. And it was a great honor to appear on some awesome podcasts. So stay tuned via social media or the newsletter for their release. Um, and that said, if you haven't signed up for the newsletter yet, you can find that at rewildmybio.com. There's no spam. I keep you updated on my research. I keep you updated on what's coming down the pipeline for guests. I share resources, discount codes, the whole nine yards. So it's we're growing a community over there, an online community. And um, I actually want to, you know, take this online community and move it onto the land. So that said, speaking of social media and transitioning to the real world, um, some of you that follow me on social media may have already seen that I've broke ground on the land. Um, I am building a home on the acreage that I am stewarding in the Canadian Shield, and it is a very exciting time for me, to say the least. Um, you know, I'm chomping at the bit, really. I, I'm chomping at the bit to become Dr. Slade and get this PhD done so that I can start the next phase of helping people connect with nature and self. Um, yeah, so that said, when I finish this intro, I'm actually heading up to the land to kick back and connect with nature because my brain needs a little rewiring after the finishing that paper, but also I'm just going to check out the build. Um, and yeah, I'm really, really super stoked to say the least about that. Um, but without further ado, let's get into today's show. My wild and wonderful guest is Susan Greer. Um, we're also joined by Dr. Richard Vixinic and, you know, Richard, he honestly, I'm blessed to have him here as always. Uh, he actually has had experience working in the conventional funeral home setting. Um, so it was great, you know, to have him and his input here and his questions and his guidance in this episode today. A bit about Susan, our guest. Susan Greer is the executive director of the Natural Burial Association. She's hell-bent on launching these natural burial grounds all over Ontario, and she's honestly having some great success at doing that. 
The Natural Burial Association itself builds awareness of the natural burial option. Um, it also supports local advocacy groups and, you know, it gently, as uh, Susan says, lets people know that cremation isn't as eco-friendly as they might think, um, which was a big, you know, a big surprise to me. Not really a surprise, but, you know, after hearing about it, I'm like, yeah, this just makes perfect sense that obviously using gases and things like that to to cremate um but anyways there was there's no real one you know denomination or way in which we approach this it's it's any different faith background what have you uh, many people looking towards this as an option because of their love for nature and regenerating uh, green spaces so i think it's an awesome topic and honestly if you're mortal well this episode might interest you um what i found awesome about our conversation today is that we enter into it um into a heartfelt conversation about death. You know, it's a topic that's not often discussed with, say, the backdrop of nature's beauty and nature's profound ability to connect us to spirit, God, creator, the great mystery, wherever you think you're going after, or however you want to define that. But yeah, today we, you know, we explore, as we always do on this show, the new old way of something. And that new old way here today is being buried in the ground um, without the conventional, you know, techniques of embalming and putting in like, caskets and, and big cement blocks and whatnot. So um, I learned a ton today, honestly, and it, w- it really opened my eyes actually to a perspective um, or to a whole new layer of nature connection and rewilding. Honestly, I feel like I do my best to bring interesting guests in um, that sort of decolonize, if you will, aspects of modern life as a way to, of course, increase health and well-being for humans and Mother Earth. Um And, you know, we do this through conversations that allow us to strengthen our relationship with our mother, the earth, ourselves, and with each other. But full disclosure, like this topic really challenged me to step outside of my comfort zone. And um, I guess it was just nice to find that edge in me, you know, where the wild meets the the air quotes civilized. So, um, yeah, really challenging myself here on this one. And um, really not even halfway through this episode, I started seeing visions of my funeral in a designated natural burial site, you know, I, I actually started to, to picture that because it's, it's something that um, we don't often think about, right? And so, yeah, it was, it was awesome to be, to have that reflexivity here in this episode for me um, as we dove into this topic. So, uh, but speaking of designated sites, let's, let's get into a few specifics that we, we chatted about today. Um, finding sites is an aspect of the natural burial uh, process that needs support from, you know, rewilders and nature lovers and people just like you. So if this is something that interests you, um, please reach out to Susan. Um, what else can I say? You know, one thing I really did learn a lot about is the environmental impact of conventional burials, you know, how cremation isn't as eco-friendly as we might think. Um, please note, we did have some technical difficulties while Susan was discussing some of the environmental impacts um she cut out just for a second or two but i swooped in saved the day on a technical front and did my best to recap what susan had to say but um what i really found interesting is thinking of death outside of the medicalized slash you know industrialized framework that i have come to understand death through i think many of us have come to understand death through right the smell of the uh, of the funeral home, the smell of the flowers. Now I just replace that with like you know nature, uh, birds chirping. You're in a conservation type natural burial setting. Like really, a, a natural burial is a regeneration and conservation issue or topic. Um, you know, and that is through the way in which these natural burial sites are managed. So I really had no idea. Um, you know, really again rewilded or decolonized my own thinking about. Uh, about what happens to our bodies when we die Um, it was also it was really amazing to you know realize how much nature contact and nature connection has helped me personally with you know through any grieving process that I've ever been through um, you know when I've lost a loved one and I'm really thinking how a natural burial can assist with this healing process right for the people um, that lost a loved one so Really, I'm not going to say much more, um, but I will direct you to the Natural Burial website, which is www.naturalburialassociation.ca, and I encourage you to take a look at their preparation guide if you're interested in being laid to rest in a wilderness setting. Uh, Also, if you want to get involved securing and creating more natural burial grounds and creative awareness, Susan would most definitely love to hear from you. So um, you can also find them, you know, Natural Burial Association 
on Facebook and Instagram. And I will make sure that everything we discuss here today is linked in the show notes. And that is over at rewildmybio.com slash natural burial. So without further ado, I bring you today's episode. Welcome to Rewild My Bio, a self-help and alternative health podcast. I'm your host, Sean Slade. Join me as I share stories, science, and strategies to help you rewild your biology and redefine your biography. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Rewild My Bio. I'm here with Richard and Susan. Susan's from the Natural Burial Association, and uh, we're really excited to kick this one off and dive into a topic that really, as we just mentioned, is is more rewilding and nature connection than I think we've ever covered here on the show because we often talk about nature connection and how that brings vitality and well-being to our life. However, we never really talk about what happens when you pass away and then your body could actually revitalize nature while you're gone. So Susan, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess first and foremost, before we get too far into it, I mean, I, I do want to kind of bring, uh, bring to light Richard's experience in the funeral home, uh, industry. Right. So I think, uh, you know, Richard's always here doing the co-host thing so graciously, but you actually have a lot, I think, to add to this one. So I'm looking forward to your questions and stories as well. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, excited to to illuminate some of this for our audience in terms of what's emerging in the post-life realm in terms of how we decide to park ourselves for eternity and uh, really unpacking some of that. And, you know, people might be, our listeners, I mean, might be surprised to hear what um, the conventional uh, burial scenario sounds like and how Mm -hmm. impactful that is on our earth in a way that's not necessarily great yeah and so maybe unpacking a little bit of that and how this emergence of the natural burial association and what you're advocating for susan um what that might be able to open up in terms of potential for some of us who think in terms of well what happens after i die what do we do with my physical remains Do they go back to the earth? Are they pumped full of chemicals? What, you know, where does this go? And so um, I'm just excited that there is this advocacy going on and that you guys are bringing this to the table in a way that really seems like it has some really um, great minds and inspired people behind it, looking at sort of the people that are involved with the Natural uh, Burial Association. It's pretty inspiring, people who, um, you know, had uh, a lot to do with magazines like Chickadee, for example. Right? I know. Yeah, yeah, which is an awesome magazine for when I was growing up as a kid. So just really seeing a lot of advocacy coming through with a, you know, a group of inspiring people. So just take this opportunity just to tell us a little bit about Natural Burial Association and what your mission is. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think you. I don't want to give us more credit than we deserve because we're one of many, many groups out there in the world, really, that are advocating for natural burial. But um, natural burial, the, the NBA, as I like to call us, mm-hmm. was started in, in 2005 by these oh, people for whom I have so much admiration. Um, Richard, you mentioned Marianne Brinkman. So she was a the co-founder of Owl and Chickadee Magazine that are all about, all about bringing nature to kids. And um, and she partnered with Michael DePontier, who's still the chair today. And he's just a, a phenomenal person. He's done so much. I can't, I can't even, I don't think we're probably up to at least six, if not seven digits for the number of trees that he's planted in Canada. He founded the Highway to Heroes. So we're having the, the trees line the 401 where the um, soldiers come back. And um, yeah, it just, uh, it's an environmentalist. It's not an industry association, it's an environmental organization at, at its core. And we're all um, volunteers, but there are other groups like that within, there's the Natural Burial Association. And we decided we're just gonna focus on the province of Ontario because the way the legislation works, it's uh, provincial and it's so complicated. It's crazy to, to you, you wanna help 
the whole country, but it's it's a handful. So we just are managing with Ontario right now, but there are amazing little pockets of local advocacy groups all around and they take every kind of um, shape and form. There's you know groups like Ottawa and Kingston and, and Halliburton that have websites and organized meetings and one's got a co-op with bylaws. And then there's a, um, there's a nun in North Bay who wants a natural burial ground, but she's got to convince the bishop or, you know, there's a, um, a, a person with a farmer in West Gray who would like to have a burial there. And the, the one that's most exciting and topical right now is um, this wonderful woman by the name of Sarah Benjamin who has a hundred acres in um, Gray Highlands. And uh, she presented to the local council there and they've moved it forward. And everybody there got a notice in the mail saying, hey, what do you think about natural burial? Issue your submissions. And so, that's super exciting. So, but it's definitely takes a village. Mm -hmm. I, I like that a lot because it's, we're, I think it's, it's a true example of a grassroots movement gaining momentum, right? Everyone's coming together. And I, and I love that you say you're an environmental organization, which is just interesting to think of, of death as an environmental issue, right? I, I often think, see it, you see it become medicalized. Um, you obviously, there's a part of death that involves like lawyers and taxes and estates being, you know, uh, divvied up and things like that but to, to to bring the environment into it is just a really to hear you say that's really really neat yeah so maybe for our listeners just clarifying what what uh you're advocating for as the natural burial association what are some of these things that you're really excited about um in contrast and we'll maybe get into this in terms of what's happening more on the conventional side of things in that industry okay first of all i have to compliment you for referring to the um the the mowed lawn gravestoned um, cemeteries as conventional because <laughs> we like to think of ourselves as traditional but everybody calls them traditional so good on you Richard I'm a naturopath um, I'm used to these this terminology okay so, yay yeah. <laughs> it's like we're also trying to say natural burial not green burial because there's so much green wash out there so excellent um, so. We just we believe that natural burial is one way to protect hundreds of acres. Of, of nature in Ontario. And, and in so doing, it also has that wonderful benefit of being able to give people a, an option at death that may align with their values. So if all through life they've chosen to walk or bike instead of drive, they've chosen to get a glass of water instead of bottled water, all those things. They, and then they are able to, to do their last act. Their parting gift is actually giving back to the earth. So that's an extraordinarily beautiful thing. Um, and so, yeah, that is our mission. Uh, I'll tell you what natural burial is, yeah. is there's, there's two aspects. There's what happens below ground and what happens above ground. So below ground, the body is buried in a biodegradable casket or shroud, and there's no embalming. It's buried shallower than your in your conventional cemetery, because that's where all that biological activity takes place. And that's how you are you know, you're better able to give back to the earth to nourish the earth and the soil. And um, uh, above ground, there is either no marker, oh, I should mention one other thing, and there's no vaults. You know, conventional cemeteries often have bylaws that, that insist upon vaults, which is like a concrete block that goes around the casket. And so then uh, above ground, this is where it's really exciting. And we always, we're, we always talk about natural burial, but in fact, anybody can have a natural burial. Cemeteries have to allow a section where you can be buried naturally. But what we really mean, what we're talking about today is natural burial grounds. And that is when on top that, that land is restored to its natural eco-habitat. And that's what's super, super exciting. So it's like, throw out any idea of a, the, of a cemetery the way you see it to, to it today. This is gonna be meadow and forested areas. And it's like mother nature is the steward of the cemetery, not lawnmowers and pesticides and all that stuff. So it's, um, it's a beautiful new concept. Some of the natural burial grounds, instead of having um, 
individual markers, they have a communal marker. So say sourcing a local boulder and it just has, it has the name of the individuals. And so for, for, for the families, it's like that whole, that whole landscape is, is their, you know, their loved one's plot, not just like that four by 10 area, but that whole thing they consider their own. They can always find out where their loved one is legally. One always has to be able to find out. So it's through GPS and, um, or sometimes they do have individual markers, like little stone, flat stone, again, just has the name, very modest, this place there. So there's, um, you know, there's, um, the, the the cemeteries that are either natural burial grounds or conservation burial grounds going one step further and and um, partnering with the land trust they're they're pulling out the invasive species they're putting in the bird houses that would be you know help with the migratory re, um, birds of the season they're planting the native trees they're doing amazing work to bring back and restore that land to its natural ecohabitat that sounds amazing. I'm trying to envision what that would look like, you know, and I'm sure that could vary. Yeah, well, you can a little bit yeah. on uh, the Instagram there. Susan, I saw you guys had a uh, plot caretaker and it was a sheep uh, grazing essentially in a oh, yeah. picture. I saw that there and I thought, yeah, like that's that's quite the scene, right? Compared to the, you know, rather well manicured cemeteries we're used to seeing, right? So Yeah, if you imagine a conservation area, yeah. well, that's a natural burial ground. And we even, we spoke with the Ontario Land Trust Association a couple of weeks ago because our mission is so similar. We want to engage people in nature and, and we want to preserve nature. The only difference is they they work more with people who are alive and we're a little concentrating more on people who are dead. Right? Right. But other than that, our goals are the same. So Right. And so what does a scenario like that look like? So you've got this hundred acre plot of land that maybe someone has um, bequeathed to the natural burial association or to um, be designated as a natural burial site. Um, like in terms of land management in that, it, it's not necessarily just kind of let it go wild per se. There's probably some finessing that goes on. What does that look like potentially? Like who's managing that? How does that work? Um, well, Sadly, in Ontario, we don't have that scenario to describe to you, but I can use some of the U.S. examples. And, and I should also clarify that the um, Natural Burial Association, we're not going to be running. We're not, we're not mm -hmm. interested in running the business. We're facilitating the creation. So if someone and people have come to us with property, then we do what we can to help them get it off the ground. But um, so in the um, you know, beautiful natural burial grounds that are in the hundreds in the UK and in the US, and there are lots in Australia too, although I know less about them. Um, they have trails. They may have a golf cart to help people who uh, need, you know, have accessibility channel challenges to actually get to the plot. Um, some of them have, they, I mean, they can have uh, beehives or butterfly pollinators or um, bird watching tours. Um, they may have a building for ceremonies. They may not have a building. The, cere the, the infrastructure is all over the map. Um, and uh, so there are some pathways for sure, but the, but the, the um, burials can take place. They can take place in a woodlot or they can take place in a meadow. So really it, it, it doesn't look like even like an, an urban park. It's way more rustic than that. Mm. See, I think, that, I think that's great that there's such a, you know, diversity in the different natural areas that you're using. Because for me, example, like, you know, I, I grew up in the Carolinian forest area here in southwestern Ontario. And I just have mm. a, a, I realize now I have a natural, like, uh, I guess, c connection with that landscape, right? So to be able to choose what, you know, area you have, seeing as, you know, they hopefully are going to be starting to pop up more and more to be able to choose an area that you actually love. I think that's, that's great. Um, mm -hmm. I guess you, you have said a few times about, uh, you know, in Ontario, we don't have that many natural burial grounds right now, but what are some of the obstacles for people that are looking to get involved? I mean, what would you, what might you say to them? Where, where would help be needed? I guess, with what you guys are doing, what like are the as obstacles? a consumer you mean? Yeah. As a yeah. consumer, like if, or if someone does have acreage and they'd like to donate, you know, 50 acres or what have you, like, um, what are, what would you have to say as far as obstacles are for you guys? Okay. Well, first of all, maybe, why don't I paint a picture of what, what this, what, what is on the, um, available in Ontario, because there's two kinds of natural burial grounds. 
there's standalone natural burial grounds and there's hybrids. So standalones are uh, typically in the in a rural area and they're standing alone from a cemetery. They're not attached to a conventional cemetery. They're just a beautiful, beautiful plot of landscape in the countryside. They're standalones. They're, um, you know, it depends if they're say a butt conservation um, land, then they really can be as small as say five, eight acres. But if they're not, then they, you would need a minimum of 15 acres just so people get a sense that they're in nature because that's what they want. They want to feel like their final rest is in nature, right? And um, so there are no standalones. In Canada, there are two standalones, uh, both in BC. The first standalone in Canada was on Denman Island and it's um, the Conservation Authority kind of deeded the, the land to these volunteers of the Memorial Society, Society there. It's a quarter of an acre, beautiful Douglas fir area. And that's only open to those people that live on Denman Island. And then late in December uh, 2019 on Salt Springs Island Cemetery opened. It's about 13 acres, uh, like beautiful Douglas fir. It's, it's wonderful. It's on a farm owned um, by, by a couple. She used to be, uh, Kathy Valentine is her name. She used to be a yoga instructor. And uh, it's like, got, they built this little gathering place from locally sourced timber. And apparently there's a little washroom with the most spectacular view, you know, probably right in the, like a Johnny in the spot in the middle of the forest. And um, they just, the, the posts of the birds that they, they have there and it's just gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. So those are the standalones and that's what, that's what everybody really dreams of, including us. Um, what we have now in Ontario that, that are in our, our view at the Natural Burial Association, like bang on models of good hybrids. So they're attached to the conventional cemetery. There's, um, well, there's one in, the first one was in Coburg and it's a father and son team. And they, um, it's only about a quarter of an acre, but again, it's attached to the Coburg Creek. So it feels like you really feel like you're in nature. When I, I took the train out there and I walked through the conventional cemetery and I, and I got to the section, I didn't need to be told it was the natural burial area. I could just see there was like a whole field of Queen Anne's lace. It was stunningly beautiful. They dig the graves by hand. They pull out the invasive dogweed by hand, you know, dig and pull it out. Like, so a beautiful thing. I think they've even created their own shroud. So that's really neat. In Niagara Falls, there's a two acre hybrid and in Will it's called Willow's Rest and it's part of Fairview Cemetery. They've got the beehives, butterfly pollinators. They planted 400 trees, native species, of course. They have school groups coming in and planting wildflower plugs, like, you know, unheard of. Imagine kids in a cemetery, but it's great what they're doing. So they're fantastic. In Picton, there's an acre of woodlot. That's our only woodlot option. And there's People from Ottawa that are coming down to Picton because they just so love the idea of natural burial and this particular cemetery. So it's uh, it's about an acre, but it's all forested. And the the woman who runs it, um, Helma Onk, she has a background in landscape um, landscaping, so she like knows you know where to place the burials amongst the tree roots so they're not hurt. And uh, the day that I visited there, I saw a deer. So, you know, mm -hmm. that speaks volumes, right? Mm -hmm. And the Waterloo also has a really beautiful one. They've got two osprey nests, again, a whole field of black-eyed Susan. So, so those, there are some, there aren't enough. It's just, there's, there's Guelph's going to open one. Hamilton's going to open one. Um, but yeah, we need more. We so definitely a, hand, need more. a handful then. So what are some of the obstacles then in Getting more, is it just needing more like kind of awareness or grassroots uh, interest from people that are demanding this? Or is it, is there like red tape from the government say, or, or what exactly is the, Both. the obstacles? Yeah. Both. So from the consumer side, there's really low awareness. Like, did you know about, well, maybe Richard, because of your work, you knew about it, but yeah, you're, you know, maybe you did. Honestly, you did. and I think what it was for me, and I'm in, and just to kind of give you my perspective yeah. as someone who's into nature connection and that I mean that we're always I think humanity's always kind of wrestling with the lines of like returning to nature and then 
enjoying some of the modern comforts of civilization and technology, right? So when this topic comes up for me, I love the idea. And honestly, I, I can't say that I've committed to it because in my mind, I've thought always of doing cremation. And again, um, I'm not set on that because I'm young and I hope to live a long time still before I have to make that decision. But this, I find it kind of just, it, it strikes a chord that might seem a little bit kind of like a discomfort when I think about this concept. But then when I think about the other, really, I'm kind of getting the same discomfort. So maybe that's, uh, maybe that's part of the, I don't, again, I didn't really think much of it. So not to say I didn't know about it, but I didn't really realize it was an option, partly because I maybe assume that uh, it's just illegal. I don't know. Well, yeah, you've, you, yeah, you've touched on a whole bunch of points there that are um, obstacles. Like the number one is that people don't know about it. So we have to build awareness. We don't really have, can't quantify it somewhere in between 10 and 20% of people even know about it. And then if they know about it, they might think it's illegal. It's not. That's the way that so many of the indigenous and the settlers were buried before it, this became a commercialized business, right? So definitely is not illegal. Um, or they might be fearful that there's water con water contamination or that they will be um, dug up by scavengers and none of those have um, taken place or are borne out. So there's that. And then the other thing is that, um, well, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you an example. There was, I, we wrote a blog in Dying with Dignity and then after that, I got a email from this lovely woman from Peterborough. And she said, I read your blog. I've cons I consider myself, you know, progressive. And I always try to make green choices. And I had no idea that cremation wasn't eco-friendly. I thought it was. And now I want a natural burial. And by the way, my husband and I have 100 acres. Can we turn it into a natural burial ground? So that's the kind of stuff that happens when people hear about it. And it's really tricky when we're talking because people so appreciate, environmentally conscientious people appreciate learning of the harm of cremation. But at the same time, we have to be really mindful that there, for some religions, for some cultures, cremation is part of their death practices, right? For instance, in the Hindu religion, they cremate because they don't think that there's any value in the dead body. And then it quickly allows the soul to go on, you know, to be reincarnated into the next life. So we, 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 this isn't about um, a movement to nice. convince everybody that for the sake of the environment, we all have to be naturally buried. This is just one more option for people for whom it aligns with their values. I see. And um, so I, I did have a question around that and you're kind of answering it to a degree, but it's like, yeah, how do more traditional, so the, some of the obstacles are the red tape. Some of the obstacles are the absence of land that is appropriately delegated for this sort of thing. But then you have on top of that, then you're, you're kind of butting up against a, a corporate industry, which is another sort of, Thing of its own trying to make headway through something like that but then there is the faith and the tradition and all of those ingrained things like you're alluding to with say cremation or how things uh, play out culturally and so but going back to a comment you made toward the beginning of our podcast about the nun i don't know where you said she's from but um having to convince the bishop and so that's where i kind of get excited uh, or even a little more is how does this concept have the potential to dovetail with entrenched cultural ritual and perspective, right? Can, is there room for a Catholic person to have their rights met, but then follow it up with a natural burial? Like it doesn't mean you have to, you know, do it a certain way all the way into the nth degree in terms of how you're buried, right? right? Yeah, well, there's um, there are some uh, beautiful, um, at least I know of one lovely um, natural burial ground run by a Catholic cemetery in uh, Minneapolis. It's so, and the Pope is very green. So there's no, it there's nothing in in the Bible or their practices that would indicate that it's not 
relevant uh, and appropriate for them to pursue. Um, and, and I should say that this nun is she's partnering with a Muslim and um, an Anglican minister. So like, how cute yeah. is that? Um, the, uh, there's faiths that practice natural burial today, right? The Jewish religion, they, um, they believe in, you know, getting back to the earth and their, their body is washed. They're not embalmed. They're in a very simple casket and they're buried, um, very quickly after their death. And so that's a natural burial. And the Muslim religion, the same thing. They are buried quickly. They're washed. The, the, washed, the body is washed and they're buried facing Mecca. It's a natural burial. They have a very modest stone um, placed on top of the grave. So it's not in a, you know, um, uh, natural burial ground per se, but um, it would be of interest to them to be in a natural burial ground because it does fit with their their doctrine yeah so it's not like we're we're reinventing a wheel here or you know trying to force a a way of doing things it's just could be consistent with established tradition which is encouraging for sure yeah, absolutely. And then the cremation that is right now, the rate of cremation in Ontario is about 70%. It's 90% in BC. So we can only imagine that it's going to go up higher. And, you know, that's, I mean, it's a pretty recent tradition, right? That's like the, the 50s where um, that cremation started to become popular. So if this isn't something that's really entrenched in our our values at any rate. Yeah, and just kind the of... Practice unfolded. Right, and some backpedaling a little bit too, um, in terms of you had mentioned sort of being buried or sort of moving on to the next life in a way that's consistent with the person's values throughout their life, right? Like using a glass of water versus a plastic bottle. But then in the end, you know, we don't think about the impact that our remains have if they are conventionally uh, dealt with right? Through embalming practices in particular. And the we don't think term. about death period in well, our culture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But so Which we've so talked scary. about the beautiful meadows and everything, but sort of on the other end of the scale is, you know, there's a, there's a lot of chemicals used. There's a lot of um, detriment there as well, right? Never mind just the, the, the vault itself, the casket itself. Um, but what happens in the embalming process? And if you sort of scale that out on a mass scale of, you know, yearly deaths, that that's, you know, holds some weight in terms of environmental impact. Yeah, the, um, you know, there used to be a stat um, in wide circulation about um, you could rebuild the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge every year with all the metal, the metal alone, never mind the beautiful hardwood um, that's used to build caskets. Now, whether that's still applicable, given that in the U.S. it's 50% cremation now, I don't know. But you get the point. And, and, you could, and they have stats about, you know, being able to pave a road with the concrete vaults that's like in embalming actually doesn't do a lot of damage to the soil. Where it does um, do damage is to the embalmers. They have eight times the rate of leukemia than the general pop really? and have three times the rate of um, ALS. So that's really alarming. So that's, um, and, and I guess there's the other thing that there, the people, you know, the people that are interested in natural burial, um, you know, Sean, you alluded to this. It does take, it, it does, it is humbling because it's, it, it is about, decay and decomposition and it does place you in this big huge vast natural world and um now i forget my train of thought but um so it's you know it's i think it's scary for a lot of people to mm -hmm. to to think about that to embrace that but when they are there in the at, at a natural burial they're really, really moved. And it, it doesn't help us to sanitize and avoid death. And, you know, the body disappears and it comes back in an urn with ashes a couple of days later, like to be there and see, see ourselves in that big circle of life can be a very, very meaningful thing. And, uh, and there's lots of reasons why people like natural burial, you know, giving back to the earth, their final rest being in nature, that kind of thing. But 
the thing that's hard to describe is how people are really moved when they're there in the ceremony. It's just, it allows for more participation. People sometimes are allowed to dig the grave or they're certainly allowed to fill in the grave and they can lower their loved one. And um, it just, it can be, it just is really meaningful. I don't know, would it be trite to give an example of my dog's natural burial? No, go ahead, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My dog, our dog died in, in, in February. And I, I felt so um, privileged that I had been exposed to all these wonderful ideas about death and so um, could, could approach it differently. And we, uh, my parents live in the country. So the week before we were gonna say goodbye to her, we went up there and we went through the forest and we collected cedar boughs to line her grave. And then we, um, collected pine cones so we could shape a heart on top of the snow. And, and then we, we, um, the day came and, and oh, we couldn't dig the grave. It was just too, too hard. So what, what happened was, so the, that came to our home in the city and it was actually a very beautiful thing. And then I had made a playlist and my friends were going, really? Like you could be in the car with a dead dog, like, Ugh. but it was just the most profound hour. I don't think any of us spoke to each other, but the music and then, you know, was, was incredible. And we just we needed that to, to, to soak in. And then we got there and it was too hard. It was middle of winter. We couldn't dig. And so um, a neighbor with a backhoe came and, um, I was kind of freaking out because the backhoe was going down too deep. And I'm like, no, 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 that's, you know, she's got to be shallower to help with the, with the revitalization of the soil. And, and then um, we had a beautiful day. We, we put down the cedar boughs and then put down Gracie and said our goodbyes and then spent hours outside in nature, filling it up and then put the little pine heart on top. And, um, and, and the whole thing was just so beautiful to be involved like that. And if I hadn't been living and breathing this, you know, crazy natural burial life, I wouldn't have known to do that. It was just so beautiful. And we, then we went back into the house and my, my um, uh, father had champagne for us to celebrate our, she had been a grateful dog, so celebrate Gracie's life. And we looked out the window and there were six deer not far from her grave and like we've seen one deer or two deer but there's six deer so that whole thing it just like the absolute um the beautiful part of the the nature and going back to nature it was amazing but i have to say like i've had moments where i'm like oh thank goodness she was way deeper because i didn't like that <laughs> anything touching her like right. okay that's good because it, it 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 does it's um it takes a little bit. I don't know if the word is courage, but uh, mm -hmm. but then if I thought, you know, my daughter said, yeah, but imagine the cremation. That's so violent. And she's right. That's like a scary, scary thing. Mm -hmm. And I guess, Richard, I didn't ask your answer your question about we talked about um, formaldehyde and and the um, harm to the environment from a conventional burial. But cremation, um, the thing about cremation is that it takes a lot of fossil fuel to burn the body. Right. You're there for two to three hours at um like somewhere between 800 to 1200 degrees. So that's a lot of energy that's required there. It's like, and I wonder energy. if, oh, sorry, I wonder if um, sort of these statistics going up around cremation have to do um, with the fact that it's probably one of the more cost-effective ways to um, move on to the next chapter of yeah. your soul's journey, right? And, well, that, and that's a big piece. So if there could be something along the natural burial perspective that doesn't involve, you know, a $7,000 casket or a headstone that's a couple grand or all that sort of stuff, oh, right? Yeah. Then maybe that, that statistically becomes, uh, you know, more appealing too, because mm -hmm. it's consistent with values. It's actually not going to break the bank for those who are left holding the bag and all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. So I just wonder about that aloud. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, we, you know, we have to be mindful that um, cremation is the least expensive way of taking care of our dad. And, and, uh, and 99% of the natural burial grounds do also welcome cremains. And, uh, you know, they can be mixed with soil and then a tree planted on top. So even 
or even if they're not, if it's an urn, there's still their presence there is protecting that land in its natural state in perpetuity. So um, there is goodness in that respect. And then the other cool thing that's coming down the pipeline is that there was a funeral home in Newmarket that took BAO, the Bereavement Authority of Ontario, to court um, because they wanted to have a um, offer alkaline hydrolysis. So alkaline hydrolysis, also known as acclimation, also known as water cremation, also known as recomposition, um, is when it's imagine for me, it kind of looks like one of those MRI tunnels and the body is put in there with um, water and um, heat at a temperature of 150 degrees Celsius and potassium hydroxide and, and the soft tissues after two or three hours dissolve to, to nothing. And then the, what comes out is white, bones and then those bones are treated in the same way they would with flame cremation which is they're kind of crushed by it's called a cremator and so it's the same result of ashes and that's about one tenth of the um carbon put footprint of flame cremation so that's exciting too and and um that you know that fellow in newmarket he he won and it's now allowed it's been practiced with animals for a you know a, a long period of time and on farms that kind of thing so it's great that that's now available there are not that many funeral homes that offer it now but that's coming down the pipeline so that's exciting yeah wow um, well, I want to recap just for the listener's sake, and I will mention also that everything's going to be available in the show notes over at rewildmybio.com slash natural burial. But specifically what I heard you say was the concrete that goes down to the earth, that could very well pave the highways of the whole United States. So that's obviously has like an impact on the environment, the gas from the cremation, the carbon, uh, the formaldehyde. And that's uh, was interesting to hear you say that that's of harm to the staff doing the embalming. And then, of course, the potential for leakage into, you know, the land and whatnot itself. So is that is that essentially that's kind of the if you were to look uh, at the environmental. Apparently it doesn't hurt the land. Yes, it, you, really. Eh? So it, yeah. it doesn't doesn't have an impact there. Interesting. Yeah. OK. OK. Well, neat. So that's what I what I did want to kind of circle back to what you had mentioned earlier in regards to your dog's natural burial and just that <laughs> whole pop process. And I'm just thinking of nature connection and its impact on our feelings of, you know, positive effect and overall like positive mood right so to be in those environments during that time of grief i could just imagine the support of nature just kind of assisting with the whole healing process of death and um yeah i mean i know i've i've participated in a in a funeral before where i've been able to put dirt onto a friend's casket and it does it means i think so much more and again you're it's it makes saying goodbye a little bit easier in my experience so yeah i appreciate you saying that yeah, or if it makes it harder, that's good too, right? Like, like if we, the closer we get to acknowledging what is happening, then mm. it, it does heal us in the end too. Like it doesn't, um, you know, it, 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 I have been involved in, my brother died um, in December, 2019. And it, I followed the kind of practices of my family and it was a cremation and it was very like stiff upper lip. And I don't think that helps anybody heal. Um, I think that the more that we, like, it is this for a lot of us, not everybody, but, um, particularly because there's a big swath of secular, um, population here that having, being so out of touch with their own mortality serves no purpose. Um, and so the, I think the natural burial, because, because, you know, you might feel a little alien and if you're don't go to church, but you're in a church or don't go to um, synagogue and then you're in a synagogue but when you're in nature it's just it's profound even when it's not surrounding a death right but when you're there with a the death it just it's um it's more spiritual mm -hmm. yeah having worked in the funeral industry for a couple of years a few years back to see the impact in my own processes of loss i lost my father when i was about 25 um, and the importance of ritual the importance of connection the importance of understanding in a very felt sense way, the cycle of life and death and the passing on and what that does actually feel like on a visceral level for somebody who loses a loved one and having to 
uh, engage processes that allow you to work through those stages of grief is extremely important as, mm-hmm. uh, you know, our social psyche, our own individual psyches and our own relationship to our own mortality. And so it's important to have those pieces. And I think that this natural burial component really touches on something um, in our DNA that's ancient, mm-hmm. right? Like we talk a lot about sort of um, uh, evolutionary bio- biology on this show, but this is sort of evolutionary like spiritual psychology too, right? Of like, what is our relationship to death and what's our relationship to nature? And so the more connected we become to nature, the more connected we become to the cycles of life and death. And we kind of see ourselves in that. And so when you talked about the school kids going to this natural burial ground, that sounds like a really, really healthy thing to me where kids Mm -hmm. can see, oh, that this is where grandpa is going to like become a bed of, um, flowers or a tree right and how that it's just part of the cycle and that you can go through these pieces and it doesn't mean you have to um, not be in pain doesn't mean you're not sad but it means it's part of the process and I think that's you can't you can't really measure the impact of that and so for my own in my own instance my father when he passed away he was he was very earthy the garden the herbs all of those things and I connect to him every day when I'm outside. If I see a cardinal or if I'm in the garden, that's how I'm connecting to him. I, in the 20 something years since his passing, I've been to his grave site twice, I think, because mm-hmm. it's a big mode piece of lawn up by the airport in Toronto, planes flying overhead, huge wind gusts coming through. It feels like the most desolate place on earth <laughs> when I go there. I don't feel connected to him there um so to have that opportunity to connect with a loved one in a space that actually is helping your nervous system to heal helping you to connect helping you to see these cycles is i think amazing um and to your point i wasn't fully aware of to what degree um you know natural burial was sort of uh, maybe gaining some steam or at least advocacy in ontario which is really really encouraging because i for myself have when I contemplate this, I, go, I don't have a clear vision of how I want to how I want to go. But now mm-hmm. it's starting to crystallize. I'm like, if this is an option, I'm going for this option, hands mm-hmm. down. So I just want to say, you know, thank you for the work you do and and sort of bringing this into the public eye, having these conversations. Like we're having a pretty casual conversation about death here, mm-hmm. right. which might freak some people out, but it's important. And so yeah. uh, I think what you guys yeah. are doing is is a good thing. Well, you know, the opera's never over till the fat lady sings. So we got to get those um, standalones going. And, you know, you were asking about the red tape and it's, mm-hmm. holy cow, it's a complicated sector. Like in a way, it's great that we live in a c- culture that has so much respect for the dad. But um, uh, on- Ontario has some some really tough legislature. So um one of the well and, and and it's different because the kind of people that are talking that are starting natural burial grounds if we look at the us and uk's examples it's not the chains that are are starting it it's um you know yoga teachers or unitarian ministers or um disillusioned funeral directors or environmentalists so and they're doing it this isn't they're doing this out of passion they're not doing this for profit and so there's a lot of hurdles um one that just came down the pipeline that we're pretty upset about is um, either the Bereavement Authority of Ontario or the Ministry of Government and Consumer Services just upped <laughs> fee that you have to pay to start a new cemetery from 100000 to 165000 Like a 65% increase goes into effect January 2022. And, and since the current cemeteries existing cemeteries are grandfathered in they can get new land and if they're there it's called the maintenance fund is in good stand standing then they don't need to cough up that extra you know 100 thou 100 now 165 thou but a new one which is likely to be a natural burial ground would so we're like wow so that's we're going to take that on because that just seems really punitive to natural burial grounds um and it's tough because the municipalities, there's so many of them that have um, 
uh, you know, declared that there's a climate emergency and they wanted to do more to protect their land, but they're, they don't really like cemeteries because uh, cemeteries don't pay taxes and it locks that land in forever as a, um, you know, can't be developed. So, um, and the third thing is if a cemetery fills up then it and closes down, it legally has to become a responsibility of the municipality to um, maintain control. So not only are we going to task for this crazy 65% increase in the maintenance fund, but we're working towards allowing grave use grave reuse. So this is something that's practiced in Europe. It's practiced in Quebec. There's a cemetery in Vancouver that does it. And what it is that after a period of time, say 25 years, 50 years, depends on the soil, um, we would go into that plot. And if there was any remnants of that individual, a titanium hip would go for recycling. But if there was you know, any bone or anything left, it wouldn't be removed. It would just be dug a little deeper so someone could go on top. And then that would mean that that cemetery is always gonna be sustainable and it's maintained by mother nature. And so the municipality doesn't have to worry about it. So that's kind of, we're trying to pave the path in which there's a, like, there's just the hope in hell that we can get a, a standalone. Um, so that's what that's what we're up against. It seems like another return to the new the new old way, right? Where it's like this is actually sustainable going forward. Whereas, you know, I, I always thought as a, as a kid, like if there's a lot of people in, on the earth and we all die and everyone goes in a cemetery, we're going to run out of land, right? And and I could and now I see yeah. some of the the you know the headache to the municipality or the owners or and all that. And again, just putting more as you're saying that, I'm just kind of starting to envision myself going and being you know naturally buried essentially right like it just it just makes more and more sense yeah. as, as we talk about it that's why i think this is important yeah for sure well that's why and and it's funny that you mentioned that because there you know we'll see in our social media feed there's people who are super green and they like the idea but they're like oh you know that would just take up too much land i think because like just when you were a kid you imagine just more and more and more cemeteries and so we could you know right back and say but it's natural land, but there's still like, mm, well, you know, how, how long could we actually, how long would it be sustainable if say 50% of the population decided they wanted to be buried naturally and there mm. was no great reuse. So that we are hoping if we have great reuse, then we can write back to those people and say, not to worry. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be recycled over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those, I see what else, so what else, I guess, what's, what's next for natural burial? association and i mean what types of things are you guys working on right now um that like is there anything i guess specifically that we haven't maybe touched on that the direction of things um yeah so there's um the most topical one right now is in gray highlands there's um a lovely woman who lives with her family on 100 acres near euphrasia and uh she has uh we presented to the council there and that has gone out the public notices have gone out to i think they landed every household to say hey there's talk of a natural burial ground what do you think so um it's been a fantastic week it's just so beautiful the number of people that have come forward that belong to environmental groups there and they're saying how can we help we love this idea and so they're helping us spread the word so that people write positive um, feedback to the clerk at gray highlands clerk at grayhighlands.ca <laughs> so that's um one initiative um there's pockets all over that are just, I just feel like something's gonna, this time next year, if we spoke again, I would have some really good mm -hmm. concrete. There's um, in Kingston, there's a dynamic advocacy group there. And um, they, and they got Kingston to pass a uh, motion, which I'll paraphrase, I paraphrase it something to the effect of, Whereas natural burial is good for the environment and whereas cremation is bad for the environment is whereas we want to be sustainable city, whereas we would like Kingston to have the first standalone natural burial ground in Ontario. So we're like, mm -hmm. so that's good. You know, don't count your chickens till they're hatched, but still mm -hmm. looking good. Um, so there's a farmer in West Gray who's got acres that she'd like to have as a um, natural burial ground. So spoke to this um 
uh, guy in, in the UK who oversees 10 farmers slash natural barrier grounds. And that's a really neat concept, right? It's di diverse income for the farmers over there. So imagine your loved one is buried and then the sheep are on, in the pasture there. So that's a beautiful mm. thing. So maybe we can open up the door to that, but and we don't, you know, and we don't know, we don't know all of the obstacles yet. Like no. it's just the, the, that fund increase was a little bit of um alarm for us. Um, but we don't, we hope that the industry will appreciate that this is something that the consumer really wants, but. Uh, well, that, that farmer, um, natural burial site combos compelling. It's like a whole new degree of regenerative farming, which we talked about. Yeah, on the show. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, so along this thread, where, where do you see this in 10 years? Where do you want to see it? I, I would love to see uh, across Canada, but obviously we're focusing on Ontario now. I would like to see that everybody knows about this option. And I would love if it could be, you know, financially accessible to a lot of people, because it would be pretty sad if there's somebody who's in environmentally conscientious and it's not accessible. So I hope it stays in the right hands of people that are, are, are there for the right reasons. It's not, it's, you know, there to, to save the environment and, Give this beautiful option to people who choose it um and i'd like to say that you know let's i'm going to throw this out let's say like 500 acres across canada are are are, are protected nature where people are buried maybe a thousand i don't know like let's it. go for a thousand <laughs> yeah I'm, no. not so, I'm not good at geography <laughs> that's a hundred a year i think for 10 yeah. years would be hey i could yeah. i could see it i got i got that feeling about this um that I do when, you know, I feel like something's going to catch, right? And this, this kind of has that feeling to me. So yeah, I'm really happy to just really learn a lot from you today about this from my own knowledge and, and consideration. And then of course, for the listeners and sharing that with them, Richard, do you have any other uh, questions for our guests before we? No, I think we've, we've kind of really done a nice job. I think of sort of illustrating uh, what this is about, why it's important and how it's important to maybe start thinking about these things and just want to say thank you for your time and for the work that you and uh, your your um, association are doing thank you we'll yeah. keep doing it yeah anybody can visit our website uh, naturalburialassociation.ca there's tons of info there i think we're up to about 30 faqs and um yeah mm -hmm. that's a good starting point that's awesome um register so your support Yes, I will definitely make sure I link all that in the show notes for everybody. And again, that's at rewildmybio.com slash natural burial. And then I guess, Susan, before we let you go, the same question I ask every guest at the end of every episode is, what is your wildest dream for the earth? You can, you can in relation to what we're chatting about or wherever you're feeling. You know, I don't, I feel like it can't be in relation to what we're chatting about because that's imposing my values and death. There's so many different takes on death around the world and that you're asking a worldwide question. So that would be um, inappropriate um, to impose my values there. Um, but I feel like for the, for the work that's ahead um, for the Natural Burial Association and all the other advocates out there, I find myself grateful that I live in a democracy as flawed as it is. And I feel like, I mean, I'm just like, you know, I'm so used to, I, I just, there's so much news about those countries that don't have it and China or Putin and, um, and, and, and I, and I, I no longer take it for granted. And I, I, I'm so buoyed by like the work that Environmental Defense and Ontario Nature and David Suzuki Foundation did, like they that it was it was because of democracy that they were able to stop that crazy Highway 413 that was going to be built through um, beautifully rich biodiverse area and wetlands, and so it just made me think. Okay, it might not it's a flawed system democracy, but I I'm that's the playground that I'm going to at least have to work in to see if we can't kibosh this crazy maintenance fee and change some of the legislation and if i didn't have that i wouldn't be able to do that and i wish that upon other countries when i hear about you know how they are restricted and um and can't do that so i guess i i 
it's a flawed system, but I feel like if I didn't have democracy, I, yeah. we couldn't even do this. Mm-hmm. Well, I can appreciate so that coming. I wish, yeah. I wish for more, I wish for more um, benevolent demo, democratic countries. Yeah. And I think your, uh, you know, your success here with the natural, Na- natural burial association is speaks volumes to the importance of having that freedom of choice and democracy and being able to create grassroots movements and change. Right. And I see this as being, again, a good example of that. So yeah, thanks for saying that indeed. Yeah. I do feel privileged that we even have the option of ideally affecting change. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you so much. And thank you for highlighting like, you know, the beauty that can come with death. Cause like you mentioned, we are a society that doesn't often speak about death. And I think having a better relationship with that is, is good for our, our mental well being. And again, it, this specifically through this method helps connect us to nature forever and ever (laughs) nothing wilder than from dust to dust yeah right totally so yeah thank you so much susan for joining us thanks very much and i'll make sure everything is uh you know linked in the show notes for all you guys listening if you guys have a minute if you enjoyed this one please share it with a friend and as always stay wild For listening to the rewild my bio podcast please subscribe to the show and leave a five-star rating if you have enjoyed this episode i have so much gratitude for all of you who continue to share this show with your friends it really does mean so much to me if you want more content from rewild my bio then please check out rewildmybio.com to find previous episodes and sign up for the newsletter in the newsletter i share blogs i have written and reflections from my current health promotion research please follow along on instagram and telegram with the handle at rewild my bio and on Twitter, at Sean Slade. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, stay wild.